Today, I talked to Kristen Mercurio, a virtual teacher who built a following that is mostly international learners. And she talks about the differences of that versus teaching here in the United States of how she has funneled classes and built up all these different classes in many different subject matters, how she's a moderator for a Facebook group for the international learners, what kind of resources you can use, how she's collaborated. She has networked with other teachers and just really built this as a business. It was a really fun conversation, so I hope you enjoy. Hi, Kristen, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. And I understand that everybody just calls you M because of your last name being hard to pronounce. Yes, thank you so much for having me. And yes, Mercurio is a mouthful, even for adults. So M is what all of my colleagues call me and the students. Awesome. So tell me about your teacher business, how you got started, what, if you do anything else, and just kind of a little bit about your journey, how you got here to be a virtual teacher. Sure. Um, I was actually introduced to OutSchool by another teacher um, who I taught with in person, and she was teaching on OutSchool. And it was right before the before pandemic. Um, and I was doing other things online. I was teaching English to students um, that lived abroad, but I was also teaching English to um, adults that lived in China through their human resource department. Um, and okay. I was also doing virtual life and health coaching. So I was doing a lot of other things um, from from online at the time. Um, and I was hoping to transition out of the school system itself and create my own curriculum and really focus on the students' needs rather than testing <laughs> all the time. Right. And, yeah. and a, what did you teach in the school system? Everything. <laughs> I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a special education teacher. So we're okay. usually needed in so many different capacities. So I'm certified in K to 12 special ed, but also middle grades, English, um, physical education, K to 12. So I was also a coach. Um, I've taught elementary at like turnaround schools. So schools that were failing and needed the behavior interventions to come in. Um, I, I did that as well. I was also a reading coach for teachers and students. And I was a case manager for my students with um, individual education plans. And I was a team lead. So I've done oh everything gosh. from kindergarten through 12th grade and also adults. Right. And I'm sure not all of that was at the same time, but that was a big overwhelming list of things that you did. <laughs> and it sounds like transitioning to virtual teaching and doing the other coaching and things from home might be a little bit, a little bit more manageable. It is. Um, and I actually had seven preps at one time in the school district. So seven preps, meaning seven different classes. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're writing, uh, you know, lesson plans for those. But I also had 40 students that I'm writing their IEPs and tracking their data and communicating with their parents and teachers. So it, in a high school setting, you're talking about 130 kids in your class and then 40 that you're having IEP meetings for and you're having to miss class because you're in an IEP meeting. So they're with, <laughs> yeah, so there was substitutes and I I specialize with children with behavior. So to have a substitute so often, it kind of throws off the dynamics for those students. Um, so yeah, I mean, juggling what I do at home and what I do, um, at least this way, um, I'm really just working in a partnership, I would feel like with parents more right. so than if I was at a school. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I can relate completely. I was an art teacher in a school. So K 
K through 12, you know, you saw everybody as much as they could cram into my schedule anyway. So um, it was like impossible to actually take a day off and have a sub without it causing you so much more work. Yeah. So now that we are both virtual, I just, it's almost like this weight has been lifted off of my shoulders. It's just like, oh, I can, I can do this. Yes. <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, there isn't that overwhelm. Yes, exactly. And yeah. I am excited to wake up. And, and honestly, at first I was like, oh, I really like collaborating with other teachers. And I thought I was going to miss that. But I have met amazing teachers that I work with on a regular basis throughout school. Right. Um, and so they've become really good friends. <laughs> so that's one of the things that's one of my goals actually is to just bring more teachers together, because that is the one thing that. I feel is so important. And one of the things I miss about being in person, I don't miss my 37 minute drive. I don't miss so many of the other things, but my coworkers, I love dearly. I have a group of them that I'm still in constant contact with. And whenever I became a virtual teacher, I felt like you saw people in the Facebook groups and in the different forums, and you could watch videos on YouTube, but you didn't know them, you know? And so making those connections. And whenever I discovered my outschool bestie, you know, it was like, oh, okay, we can navigate this together. So tell us how you've discovered or just really met and gotten to know these other virtual teachers. Um, so two of them that I talk to on a daily basis, we actually tried to form a pod before it became a pod <laughs> um, okay. a thing on OutSchool. We were doing that for middle school. Um, so we still collaborate. One teaches um, social studies. The other one is a language arts teacher. I'm also a language arts teacher, but because I teach so many classes on um, the subject of science, um, I said, you go ahead and handle English and I will handle science. So I still talk to them every day. Mm -hmm. I have another teacher friend who I actually taught her, her child, but she messaged me afterwards and she was like, I am an entomologist and I can't even imagine teaching this content to a five-year-old. Like, how did you do that? Oh, so I, like, I love that. She like, <laughs> yeah. She's asking your advice and you guys are going to be able to collaborate that way. Yeah, but she's amazing. Like, I was like, what are you talking about? She, she actually makes her own stories to teach entomology to children and she oh animates cool. them on out school what? so yeah yeah she she's animates awesome. them yeah she animates them on powerpoint and all this other stuff she is she makes her own stories so i talk to her regularly and she's in canada but don't you think that that's part of it like it's just that validation of like this is my idea is it gonna work you know like being able to bounce those ideas off of each other and just getting that feedback from someone else. And that's what she needed. And it was so nice that she was able to reach out to you and you were able to help her. And now look at you like your, yeah, and your we refer, we, re, we refer students um, to each other. Right. So like if I have students that really love insects and I only have four classes on certain insects, I will tell them, take her classes, you know, like mm -hmm. she is amazing. If you are considering entomology, take her classes. And she actually branched off and made classes for older students. But this is a lady that I now speak to every single day. And I've, I've taught her 
her, her other children now. Um, right. But a lot of the, the people that became very close friends, they're actually other teachers mm -hmm. and they have children that take my classes. So we are close in different ways, right? Like they're, right. they're parents, but they're also now my friends. Um, yeah. So, and so I think that that's kind of what people have to understand that we're in our own spaces and we're by ourselves every day. And no, I don't have to get in my car most of the time <laughs> and I don't actually see them physically, but you can still make those connections, whether it's with your students or with other co like, it's almost like we have coworkers, but we're just not physical in the same place coworkers. Absolutely. And yeah. like, even before I, one of us will publish our new class, we'll send it to each other. Like, Hey, does this look like appropriate? Like with the parental guidance, like, yes, it was approved by out school. Do you think I need to add any, like, I have like a Greek mythology class. Do you think I need to add anything else about, you know, that the parents should know in this section? And then we just check over each other's lessons uh, and, and things like that, or even the resources, especially now with their right. new rules on out school, like, Hey, is, do you think this one's going to be okay for the new COPA regulations? Right. Or yeah. yeah. These are the guidelines. I mm -hmm. think they're okay. I just need a second set of eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So since you do teach such a broad range of subjects and you're certified in multiple things, what would you say you teach the most or is it kind of most, is it even age groups, classes? Do you have a favorite? Tell me about just your course load. So I went in saying I am teaching high school. I love high school. It's my passion, but there's not a plethora of high school students taking right. classes. And in the science realm, the parents want labs. And from a business standpoint, I don't want that kind of liability to have in-person labs if I don't know if a parent is going to be present for these labs. Or oh, the that material makes so much sense. And the materials can be very costly for labs. And there's some things that I don't have access to anymore as a... a because of commercial purposes. So I can't do virtual dissections through a textbook because yeah. I don't have, I don't have permissions. So I started making content for ages six to nine, six to 10. And that's where there's so many students, that age group, that six to nine, six to 10. So mm -hmm. I would say that most of my students are in that age range. I do have a very, um, a nice following for high school, but mostly for my critical thinking classes. Um, and I'm just starting to build my middle school um, because I, I started teaching a chemistry class. So more, oh, okay. yeah, more of the students that want those academics, then I'm, I'm getting them earlier, like 11 and 12. It's kind of like I filtered them in. I've had them since they were 10 or 11, and now they're following me over. Um, it's just sometimes with the middle school ages for me, it's not enough to hold a class where they would have a lot of engagement. Right. And that kind of leads to my next question about like, how do you funnel your classes because of having so many different subject matters that you are teaching, you know, it's not, how do you have time? I guess is what I'm saying to create that build up of classes and the just variety to keep students coming back to you because they're interested in what they originally took. Um, and so that has been a little bit of a challenge because I do have students. So I have offered since I started a year and a half ago, I have over a hundred that have been published as far as classes. Go. Oh my goodness. And that is not like 
my ongoing. So ongoing, you have to have a different topic every week. Right. So I have some students that have taken every class of their age group with me. So in my head, as a business owner, I have to have something that they're coming back for, right? Yeah. Otherwise I'm going to lose them. So um, I have to make sure that they have content to, uh, to enroll in. So that is really what keeps me going is I want those kiddos that have been with me since day one and have continued. I mean, they've taken 90 classes because that's what I've offered for their age right. group. I have to keep them. And parents also will say, Hey, we're doing this in homeschool, or they're doing this at school. They need extra help with it. Can you help me? And if it's an area that I am familiar in, then I will sit down and look at the curriculum of wherever they live. I, I teach mostly international students. So I have to look at the curriculum in Scotland. I have to look at the curriculum of South Korea and say, okay, how does this compare to what I actually know? And can I create content for this parent? And how challenging has that been? Because you're <laughs> seeing, like you just named several countries that you're looking at curriculum and does it vary greatly compared to ours in Absolutely. the United States? 100 yeah. percent so they are um, my students in uh, that are international which is what i mostly teach i would say 80 to 90 percent their curriculum is far more challenging than our curriculum here in the united states or okay. it's um it's it's structured differently so they put more of an emphasis on certain things like social studies and science than we do like sometimes we kind oh, of push yeah. that away until like third fourth fifth grade because we don't test on it so right. like exactly. it's pushed to the back burner whereas i have students in india that can tell you names of people in civics and names of <laughs> people that are and it's unbelievable they learn this from kindergarten they learn it from first grade so okay. I, I mean i have students in south korea that can tell you every single country in africa off the top of their head wow. and then i have students the same age that don't they can't even differentiate between africa and south america when you show them a picture that are in the united states so it's very very different um as far as the rigor okay yeah <laughs> yeah and so if you teach mostly international students, what kind of, oh, there's so many questions. So time frame, what time are you teaching? Are you a morning person or do you do it late at night? And how does that vary? And then I'll get into other questions. Um, so I have uh, approximately two days a week where I have night classes. So I will have classes from 7 p.m., which target my students in California, Hawaii, but also some of the countries in Asia and Australia and New Zealand, um, because okay. it's roughly like their lunchtime in New Zealand. So um, seven o'clock all the way till about 10 or 11 o'clock. So two nights a week. So when I teach till 11 o'clock at night, I'm not going to schedule an early morning class the next day, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but on my typical day. So three, four days a week, I am waking up usually at 345, four o'clock because my classes will begin at 430 or 5 a.m. And okay. those are a lot of my homeschool European students that will take classes that early as well as Asia because it's nighttime for them. Um, I mean, my 7 a.m. classes, I have students in Korea who are taking classes at 9 p.m. their time. Um, wow. So yeah. And yeah we have to think of how important education is in South Korea, that they are eight and nine years old taking nine o'clock classes, right? Right. So Instead I, of going to bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, I also will teach up until about noon, 
because that's the latest my students in London, Scotland will take classes until right. about six, seven their time. So that gives me the afternoon. I don't teach afternoons. Um, it gives me the afternoons for doctor's appointments or going to the grocery store. And then I'll pick back up at like seven, eight o'clock at night. Okay. So you're doing a split shift some days. Yeah. Some days. Yeah. Which isn't it great though, that we can do that, you know, where I, I will set breaks or I have my ongoing classes that are all set and I teach in the afternoon. So we're opposite of each other. But, um, you know, if I want to, I add in a one-time class early morning, see how it goes. Occasionally I'll add that evening class or the weekend class. And it's so nice to have that flexibility where, you know, most jobs you're, you arrive, I mean, as a school teacher, there was no being late. You arrived at 7.02 and it was an odd time always, you know, <laughs> 7.02, whenever you had to be there when that bell rang, because those kids were walking in and you had to be there at their set times. And there was no flexibility in that. Exactly. It made, it made appointments or vacations or anything like that very challenging whereas mm -hmm. this i can take with me like i was in pennsylvania and other ohio this weekend and i can bring my computer with me if i decide hey i want to stay an extra day i can teach from wherever and not miss a class right. not have to call in or cancel on my parents now since you said you don't really do the lab classes whenever you bring your computer with you. Do you have very much that you have to have outside of your computer screen or all of your classes? Like everything is digital right there. You just pull it up. Everything is digital. Everything mm -hmm. is digital. I make my own worksheets. I send out the materials beforehand that I've created. Um, and everything is, I have a slideshow, but it's a lot of it is discussion. Um, if the students are taking notes, then I'm highlighting it within the, the presentation. Most of my students in, in Asian countries will take notes and I will share the video with them so they can go back and take additional notes if they need to. Um, but other than that, I'm we're, we're learning how to condense our notes, like Cornell style notes anyway. Okay. Um, but no, I don't have like props or anything. Right. Now, and because I'm an art teacher, I like, you can't see my supplies around here, but everything is within arm's reach, which believe me, I never thought that as an art teacher that never sat down, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I've made it work and I love it, but I am occasionally envious of the fact that like, oh, I can't, I have two devices. I have the document camera. I have my supplies. I can't just like take my small tablet with me and do something. So but I have a question a though, because I okay. do have an art teacher friend and she has like a document camera phone so, right. uh, app. So she'll have like a stand of some sort that she keeps it on. Is that something that you would be able to do? Oh yeah. I've done that. I've used my phone and it's not as bulky, you know, okay. it just, my normal setup is mm -hmm. spread out, you know? So, <laughs> and then whenever I did travel and teach, it was like, okay, how can I condense all of my supplies? Cause I had painting and drawing classes where if I were to plan ahead, it would be like, okay, just drawing nothing messy, you know, but okay. that's awesome that you were able to just pick up like that, take your stuff with you and still teach and not have to cancel anything or change somebody else's schedule because your schedule changed. Yes. That's yeah. So you said that you also um, are a moderator for, or an admin for a Facebook group for the international students. So tell me, who do you see make the most comments or ask the most questions? Parents, teachers, what kind of 
responsibility and time investment is, is it to admin that kind of group? So I am a moderator in that group and that group used to be invite only for teachers. And so that parents had to recommend their teachers that had scheduled hours for their time zones that had good like reviews in terms of the international families. Now they have opened it up a little bit more. However, I actually was just talking to the admin this morning. So there's roughly 368 teachers in the United States. Then we have some from the UK and Australia, but there's over a thousand parents. And like, I have the breakdown of all the countries that they're represented mm -hmm. from there. Um, now, there's not really a need for parents to interact in that group because of the way that she organizes the group. So there are threads that every week, like two weeks in advance, she'll ask for post your art classes or music classes here, post your language classes here. So parents can go directly. It's very organized. Oh, it's that's really nice. Yeah. They're not sifting through a bunch no. of noise. And, and also, um, Another thing is there's sometimes a language barrier, so the parents don't necessarily want to post. So if they do, they might send us like a private message and say, hey, I'm uh -huh. looking for this, but, you know, maybe their English isn't perfect or they've used Google Translate or something. Um, parents are allowed to post and say, hey, I'm in this time zone and I'm really having trouble looking, uh, finding an art class between these hours in London any suggestions. And so then myself or the other admins, we might have recommendations and then other parents will chime in with their recommendations, but really the parents can go and find what they're looking for. Now it's up to the teachers to actually post their classes in there so that right. parents can find them. <laughs> but so do you feel that this group is really helpful outside of just the search features in OutSchool to connect those parents and absolutely. connect those students to teachers that would make sense? Absolutely, because there are so many classes to sift through and the search feature on OutSchool isn't always the most accurate. So mm -hmm. like parents have not been able to find me sometimes because that class, I don't have it starting until let's say January. So it's not going to come up in their search, even though they don't care if it's starting in January, they just want to know, do I have that class available? They can go to my profile, but if they have favorited, let's say, uh, I don't know, a hundred teachers, they would have to scroll through that to find, like, there's no organizational features for them. Right. So this way they can go right to a Facebook page that are only teachers that serve international families. So they don't have to like, there's no way for them to filter. I want something from this time to this time. And then, and then actually have an accurate <laughs> feed. <laughs> I know that OutSchool has been working on improving their search features. That's like a, a constant thing, but right. I'm sure that with all the advancements, that's like another you know, tech thing that they would need to work on. But this is just all in one place and they can find teachers that cater to international families. So what led you to have most of your classes geared toward the international times? Um, so as a special ed teacher that primarily deals with um, behaviors and academic uh, people that children that need academic um, support, I found that there are far less behaviors in the classroom with my international learners. Um, if a parent is there present, they're off screen, they're right. not up, they're not running around. They take education extremely seriously. I mean, just as a, uh, 
just as a basic uh, <laughs> like example, I had a student who was giggling at the end of class because we were saying our goodbyes and he found something really funny in our science class. His mother had him write a page apology on how it was oh. inappropriate to act that way in class. He's so sorry, professor, this, that, and the other. And she was extremely, uh, her, her message to me was, I am so sorry. He will never act like that again. You know, that was immature behavior. I, I've never seen that with any, I mean, my students in Asia, my students in Europe, the, the education is the top priority. So mm -hmm. this is, and this is a, a new trend that we're seeing with more ESOL teachers coming on, but I will tell you from the 90%, 80% of students I have, they don't want ESOL. They want challenging. They want oh, okay. the academic rigor. If right. they wanted something like that, they would look for it, but that they're not coming here to look for that. They want their kids to have academic um, language in science. They want them to have more critical thinking. They want them to be able to have conversational English about academics. They don't want the, the prop. I don't have any props here, but they don't want props and, and <laughs> right. they don't, they don't want that. So um, it's very academically challenging. So I can take my curriculum that challenges high school students and I've modified it for my students that are eight and nine years old. And that makes those parents happy. And that makes me happy. Right. For yeah. Me. I've done that too, because you can teach the same concept. It's just knowing where your students are and what amount of challenge or how you can adapt it to each group that you're teaching. Absolutely. So the critical thinking one class is interesting to me because that isn't your typical, um, you know, math, science, art, music, whatever. So explain a little bit about what you do or what type of things you cover in that particular type of class. Okay. Um, so I've done this in brick and mortar schools and it usually was my bell ringer and I would either show a piece of artwork or I would put up a scenario and students would write about it and their interpretation. How do you interpret this piece of art or how do you interpret this situation? So in my team class, we have a class that is, is it legal? Is it moral? Is it ethical? So let's talk about, um, we talk about, let's say the death penalty and they talk about where is it legal in the world? What does that look like in other countries? And we talk about that. And then we say, is that moral or is it ethical to have death penalties such as these? Is it legal in your country? And they discuss it from all these different countries. And then it makes them really think about their own judicial system and mm -hmm. that of other countries. Um, we talk about all different things. Like um, this morning in that same class, I've tailored it for my younger students. We were talking about fairy tales. And I asked the younger learners, they're seven to 10, if they feel that fairy tales are beneficial for children. And one of the girls from Poland said, I think it gives a bad impression of what girls are supposed to look like. So like, she's critically thinking about this, she's discussing it. And then one of the other kids who lives in Asia said, but, there's things like brave that show that girls are powerful. And she's like, yeah, but uh -huh. that's the only one. There's no other ones. Like in all <laughs> the other ones, they need help with something. So they get to talk about things that they wouldn't normally talk about, or they don't usually discuss when they're watching a movie or reading a fairy tale and they can critique it from different, um, you know, a different angle. Right. And having, I love, I mean, there's lots of critique that happens in art. So I love that you get them to think about these things. And then since it is mostly international students, I hadn't really thought about just what different points of view you would 
you would hear from. And then they're learning so much from each other because of that. And like, for example, we were discussing fairy tales this morning. So we were discussing Cinderella, but there is a Cinderella story from like almost there's like, I don't know, 30 different countries, right? So there's Mm -hmm. the Chinese Cinderella and the Egyptian Cinderella, Mexican Cinderella, all these different Cinderella's. So we discussed the Korean Cinderella. And if you compare that one to the Chinese Cinderella, the Chinese Cinderella story is kind of scary. So we discussed, yeah, it's kind of scary. So, um, so we discussed us like do the elements of a fairy tale does that can children at the age of three and four differentiate between reality and a story can they do that at three or four and some of them said yeah it's a story a story is a story and then some of them said wait a minute if you're three or four you might start thinking that all step parents are bad and then if you get a step parent in your life you might be afraid of that person because mm-hmm. in all the stories the step parents are bad so these are just things that they're discussing <laughs> from all these different perspectives which is i think it's a great way for them to start thinking critically about a lot of different topics I mean, I have another critical thinking, which is a survival class, and I put them in different locations. So like Mount Fuji or on a boat, and I tell them you are stranded there all by yourself. I'm going to give you three tools. How would you use these tools to survive given this location? And they're random tools. Like when when they're on a boat, they get a hundred toothpicks. How would you use (laughs) these hundred toothpicks? I've done this with adults too, though. It makes us look at everyday objects. Like what would I have? Oh, oh, this is one of the things that I always ask. And it's one of my questions in a flex class that I just had answered by a student. And it's when do you feel you were most creative and it does not have to be artistically creative. And one of my students was talking about a survival class that he and his friends took, but it was in person and they had to build a shelter and they were given only small things, but it's all about problem solving. Exactly. I, I love that though. I yes. love that. We, I, I, I mean, my daughter and I have done things like that, but there was one where there was a competition and you had to build a Christmas or holiday themed tree with all items that could only be recycled. And I was like, and like the first thing, of course, that comes to my head is plastic bottles. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. like, wait, there's like a million things that can be recycled. I could use so much. It was kind of like an artsy project if you think about it, but um, you had to consider all the different things that could be recycled. And it took more time than people think (laughs) to be that (laughs) I love whenever you just start really thinking through things to be able to problem solve because too many people give up so easily on stuff. And it's like, okay, wait, there has to be a solution. How can you fix this? How can you make do with what you have? How can you utilize something in a different way? You know, you can be so creative in so many ways. So the critical thinking class is just, oh my gosh, that's teaching students how to survive in the real world in so many different scenarios. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I, I just love that. I mean, it's, That's one of the things about being a virtual teacher as well is you get to teach what you want to teach. Like you said, you're not following a curriculum. And so I bet these classes have just developed throughout time based on what you've experienced with your students too, right? 
Yes. So like the, um, the, the legal, is it legal? Is it moral? Is it ethical? That was actually something I created for my reading class in high school when special ed did not have a curriculum. We were just like here, they, they said, teach whatever <laughs> you want. Here's a textbook. If you want to use it, if they can't do it, here are some other ideas have at it. And I was like, wait a minute, like, let me use literature. So the only way that I've made this different is that class does not require reading. Whereas the one in person, there was actual literature in like, um, I would reference certain books that went along with each theme. Like there's a theme about euthanasia. We would read a book about euthanasia and then we would discuss, is it legal? Is it moral? Is it ethical? So the okay. students do not read that in my out school classes. However, I do give them a recommendation. If you want to read more about this topic, these are some, you know, young adult li literature, you know, that you could read. Um, so that's how I've modified that for out school. Um, right, because copyright issues, mm -hmm. you know, teaching virtually and as a, like, we're business owners, so we right. can't use so many different resources that you could in a public school setting. So that's one way that you were able to modify or figure yeah, something exactly. out. Exactly. And that one was actually, um, my. so my high school students always want me to talk about my experience as a law, uh, I was a correctional officer before I was a teacher. And I'm like, I don't know if those stories are appropriate. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a way that I can discuss laws and bring out other perspectives um, and say, wait, wait a minute, because we talk about employment and is this legal? Is it moral? Is it ethical? And I said, well, you know, should we hire felons? And they're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What are they going to do then when they get out of, you know, let's right. discuss what we want to have done as a society. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the, I mean, they've come up with really great ideas, but yes, the copyright is definitely an issue. I do. I, I send them to resources that they can look at afterwards. Um, the way that I get around most of that is I have authors that I work with personally mm -hmm. and they're independent, um, independently uh, published. So, right, they've, they're self-published. So I get their permission. Like this author, actually, she comes to my classroom. She made an appearance in the classroom. She got oh. to meet students. Yeah. So all of their projects that they're doing in class or their drawings, their parents give permission. They send pictures. I send it to the author. She puts it on her social media with their permission. They have like but I have another author that I work with. He actually recorded a video. It's one of my intro class videos for out school. Mm -hmm. He recorded a video to my students, potential students. Like, you know, oh, that's um, so nice. It's like, I will be meeting you, but yes. not in person, in person. Yeah. And yeah. So I work with, and, and I feel it's a great way to connect readers with people that they admire, like, right. Like really get them hooked on reading and, and, you know, they, then they look up to these people. They also are supporting these small authors, not these big publishing companies, but right. these small authors. Um, and then they get to even like one of my students said, why'd she choose us? She's popular. She's on Amazon. She's this, why'd she choose us? Right. She's got plenty of popular. <laughs> Let's start building up those other small businesses, right? Yeah. So it's it's a great way um, for them to get their name out there. And I also encourage parents to write a review on Amazon for their books if they like them. Um, this author in particular has two books in her, her series so far. So that actually, I have a class one. It's a whole semester class and the kids love it. So now I have a semester two and they're going to be reading the second book with me. Right. So, so there um, you were able to build up your classes. Yeah while also helping build her business. Exactly. Which there we talk, it's kind of full circle, bringing it back to collaboration. And you have coworkers that aren't just teachers. 
essentially, because you're working with these publishers, you're, you're connecting and networking with other careers too. Absolutely. And um, there are some YouTube content creators because we can't use YouTube videos unless they're um, available for commercial use. But I have reached out to YouTube creators who have given me permission to use their content. One of them has like um, reptiles and things like that. And he does interviews and he has them on there. But I've collaborated with him. Somebody else, I do. Um, I have like a very minimal, like I charge like a dollar to teach about um, rescue, animal rescue. Mm -hmm. So I have local nonprofits that do animal rescue that have allowed me to use their videos to teach students the importance of animal rescues and what they do and how they got into it and things like that. So I collaborate with nonprofits, with authors, illustrators, um, content creators on YouTube, um, lots of different um, digital artists. I, for one of my classes, after they've completed the 16 weeks, I make an adult coloring sheet for them of all the animals that we learned about. So oh, that's cool. another creator um, that I can link them to because he made me like a work, like essentially it's like a coloring book of mm -hmm. these animals that we learned about. So oh, that's awesome. Bonus content. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think it's really great too. And, and also on my, my out school teacher Facebook page, that's who I collaborate with on there. I, I, tag the authors. I tag the illustrators. I tag the other teachers. Like I'm, I have a class coming up and it's a world geography class. So I have reached out to different language teachers and said, Hey, we're going to be learning about all these different countries. What do you teach? What do you teach? So I have an mm -hmm. Arabic teacher, a French teacher, a Spanish teacher, all of this. And so I give the parents a list. If your children are interested in learning any of these languages, here are some teachers wow. they can go to. Um, I also have a teacher who's creating culinary classes for these different countries that we're learning about. So if they want to learn how to cook food from Poland or wherever, they can mm -hmm. take her classes. I have, um, she, I don't know if she's doing it anymore, but there was an art teacher who was going to do like different art inspired from different countries, like, or from different continents, like African inspired art or, right. you know, European inspired art. So I can refer them after those classes in that series to those teachers. So this is your personal page or like business page that you cater to out school students and parents then so that there's just, it's like a, a way for you to help advertise your classes outside of just the out school platform, correct? Yes. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's all, it's all done on that Facebook page. However, everything sends them back to out school. Like they need to contact me through out school. They can comment on posts if they want, that's fine, but yeah. they're, they can't message me. There's not a way for them to get a hold of me. If they need to message me, they need to get a hold of me on out school. Um, but it's also a way for me, like sometimes I'll offer specials for my classes and rather than post it in some discount group, I want to give back to the parents that have been with me since day one. So I'll right. say before you get my email, before you get the email generated by out school saying that I have a new class, here it is. If you see it right now, I have it posted for $10 off. So if you join now, then it'll be $10 off. After that, once you get the email, it's going to the original price. So that right. way my regular special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My regulars are getting those discounts, which I wholeheartedly believe it's best to cater to those that have been loyal, like give them those bonuses. They always appreciate it, you know? So it's not like you don't want to offer discounts or um, some sort of special to entice new families sometimes, but 
the families that come back time after time after time are going to appreciate it so much. So that's my international families. Like if, if I give them a discount and I don't confirm it with them, they'll message me. Don't discount me. You're worth every penny. Like the international families, the international families, they don't even want the discounts. Mm -hmm. I found different. (laughs) I found it a little bit different in other places, but my international families, they're like, stop. If you give me another discount, I'm going to sign up for a class and just not even go. Don't like, I want you to, (laughs) they want me to be paid. It's like their right. They see the value of what you're offering. Yeah. They're so, um, throughout this conversation, my goodness, we've learned so much and it seems like there's a lot of value that you have to offer. So where can people find you? How can they connect to your classes and have you as an amazing teacher? <laughs> well, on OutSchool, I mean, um, they can find me under my name, Kristen Mercurio. Um, and then I have the the Facebook page, which is Miss M OutSchool Teacher is my Facebook page. Um, and then outside of that, I, I'm usually doing life coaching, <laughs> things like that. So, right. yeah. Well, I will make sure that I link those in the show notes so that they don't have to just blindly search and try to spell it since you are Coach M or known as Miss M to your students. So that way they can find you easily. And I would love to know if you do any animals, like I see animals in the background there. If oh, you, yeah. if so, if you have art classes, especially like the endangered animals, I teach a whole class um, series on that. If you have art classes like that, I would love to funnel them to you. <laughs> so, because we just practice drawing and I don't have an example, but I tell my kids all the time, I am not an artist. I am doing <laughs> this because we learn the body parts. So right. we draw them. I'm like, and my students who are five, six, seven, eight, they draw a lot better than me. <laughs> well, animals are the way I run my ongoing classes is I allow the students to choose the subject matter. And so I have a list of some of the wildest, craziest things that we've drawn because they've requested it. And I wouldn't have drawn that if it was me determining what the schedule would be. And I have other classes as well. And one of them that's really fun is a pet show and tell drawing class because you always see pets climbing across their keyboard or in the background and they love showing them off. And then we draw animals throughout all of that as well. But um, yeah, collaboration is always great. So I have to, I have to tell just one student came to mind who has like 17 frogs and some rats. Oh and my goodness. Um, I am yes. sending that student. Well, they're sisters your way, because that'll be a <laughs> lot of show and tell drawing. We've had a rat on someone's shoulder before just this week. We had two birds on a boy's shoulder. Um, you know, we have the regular cats and dogs, but we've seen some really, really unique pets. It is so much fun. I mean, adults, when you're in a zoom with adults, they get excited when they see someone's pet, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are talking to. So, um, that is one of my favorite classes to teach for sure. Awesome. Well, I will definitely look for that and send it to them because they, I know those two, especially would love that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And thank you for being here. It was a really fun conversation. So I appreciate you being part of this podcast episode. Thank you. Okay, there we go. (laughs) That was awesome. You have such a good energy and it just like kept on flowing. And I'm like, wait, did I even need to ask that question?
<laughs> I, and I will tell you the students that I'm talking about, they have so many pets. How do you pick just one when they have so many pets? Well, oh no, it's an ongoing. So I have like a schedule and it's never ending. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I was like, what? I don't even yeah. know. So just the one pet that you draw or like, does the person have to stay still with their pet? Like you're drawing. No. It? So what we do is they can show off any pet that they have any week, even if it's not the subject, but like each week, we just, I have a different pet on the schedule. So like, let's see, we are doing a snake this week and a duck next week. Oh. Um, you know, so it's anything like farm animals, outdoor animals, indoor animals. We've had a tortoise pee on the table in front of the <laughs> students. <laughs> um, yeah. So sometimes they'll like bring their computer to the fish tank or whatever. Its ability blows another kid's at a different <laughs> age out of the water, you know, <laughs> or yeah. they just the time doesn't work or whatever, you know, and it just, it makes sense. So, well, thank you so much again. Thank you. And I'm going to look so that nice up. to meet you. You too. I'll talk to you later. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, I want to say thank you so much to Kristen, to Miss M for sharing all that she has shared. It is such good, helpful information for other virtual teachers. I hope you find some inspiration from her and this has ignited some creativity in your teacher business.